Good morning. Our scripture, scripture reading will be from Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5. And the Bible reads, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor is in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he, grant, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This is God's word. You may be seated. I would invite you to pull out the sermon outline that you find in the announcement sheet. You can use it as we go through this study this morning. And... Uh, as a reminder to, to lots of singles folks that, that we have as a part of our church family, this next Sunday at lunch, following our assembly, we're, there, there's going to be a, kind of a potluck. And if uh, you need some more information about that, contact Randy Thompson. But that's going to be next week for our singles ministry over in the, uh, I'm not sure where it is, Fellowship Hall, Small Kitchen, one of those two places, probably the Small Kitchen. But uh, Randy will direct you, and there'll be some more information about that, but wanted to give you a heads up on it. Uh, as you know, too, before we get into the message, uh, for the last 15 years or so, what we've done before uh, the study time is to spend some time in prayer, asking God to, to bless us, to give us eyes that see and ears that hear, in order to discern the message in a way that causes us to turn ourselves towards God as His people. And to recognize His greatness in all things. Uh, but this morning, uh, while we do that, we're, we're going to pray for, for God's help in discerning His Word. But we also want to remember two families. Uh, many of you know the Walbridge family. Uh, late, late, late last night, early part of this morning, Frank Walbridge passed away. And we want to remember uh, his wife Dawn and their kids and his mother-in-law Mary O'Brien in our uh, prayer before the message this morning. And also, this is, um, this is our, our, our baby uh, recognition Sunday, and um, uh, we want to pray for Andres Hernandez, who is five years old and is going into surgery right now. A very, very serious surgery for some obstruction and some issues that this little kiddo has just had since, since birth. His mother and father, Rick and, and Jessica Hernandez, are, are very, very close friends of the Steve and Jeannie Flores. And so we're going to pray for these two families this morning and to ask for God's strength and God's blessing and God's comfort during, during this, uh, this valley and this, this dark time. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we're, we're grateful that You are our Father. And that as a Father, we can talk to You about the business of our heart and our soul. And this morning, Father, we, we're so grateful that we have been blessed in such a way uh, with all of these children. We ask Your blessing upon all of their parents and for us as a church to recognize the responsibility that we have in helping these children see You clearly and to love You with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we also recognize, Father, that that is not always easy. And there are times when these, these little kiddos, these children, Father, that are so dear and near to us, they, they run into to difficulties and trouble and health. And, and we are reminded of just how feeble we are when it comes to strength and power. 
But we recognize You as our Father who is God of all things. You are Lord of the universe. You created everything with a powerful Word. And it's in Your hands, Father, that we place our trust. It is in You, Father, that we have faith complete that in Your power, in Your might, compassion, and love that all things are possible. So we ask for Your blessing upon little Andres uh, in this very moment as he goes into surgery. We also pray that Your strength of comfort and peace, Father, come to the Walbridge family. We ask Your blessing upon them. We are grateful for Frank's faith. We're grateful for his faith in, in Jesus and what it is that Jesus accomplished in His sacrifice. And how, Father, we have, we have this hope that is beyond description of life after life after death in the resurrection. And we are grateful, Father, for this light, for this, this hope, for this, this joy that comes to us even in, in a dark valley of, of sadness, the departure of one that is loved. Pray Your blessing upon this family. And again, Father, as we, we study Your Word, we want it to speak to us in ways that change us and transform us and, and cause us to be radically different than, than we are right now. And to this end, it's our prayer for eyes that see and ears that hear in order to turn toward You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On this morning, uh, year in and year out, as a, a church family, we recognize that we are blessed with, with new physical human life in the, forms of, in the form of babies. And we also recognize that as a church, there are responsibilities and a role that we play as a church family that we share together with these, these families of these little babies in praying and teaching and mentoring and modeling and loving these new little dudes as, as part of the process of them coming into a relationship with God the Father. It is, it is a hard work, but it is a work that is just fraught with blessing. Now, believe it or not, we're halfway th through 2015, which is kind of amazing because I'm still in 2013. To be honest, I don't remember a time in, in a little over 30 years of ministry where we have experienced in such a compressed period of time so many of life's really, really profound and important experiences. I mean, in the first six months of this year, there have been lots and lots and lots of weddings. In the last seven days, we've witnessed the marriages of two young ladies who have grown up in this church family, uh, Jordan Hatcher and Samantha Adams. There have been, in the first six months of this year, lots and lots and lots of funerals. Uh, back in April, uh, there, was a, there was a little period of time where I spoke at three funerals in four days. Lots of funerals. This last week sort of kicked off the high school graduation season in San Antonio. And there are all these graduations and all of these kiddos that are going through this transition in time from high school to, to some avenue of adulthood, whether that's college or the military or some kind of a vocation, all of them facing those big doors in life. And at all of these weddings and all of these graduations and especially at these funerals, there is a really common question that you hear all the time. And the question is, where did the time go? Where did the time go? 
Uh, many of you know that there is a, a rather large age difference between my own kids, uh, Jessica and Jordan, and their younger cousins. Uh, my brothers were in their 40s when they started to have their families. Uh, they called me to tell, uh, you know, we're finally going to start having our kids. We're starting a family. We're very happy. And I thought that as a VIP, a veteran in parenting, that I would give them some practical advice. And I, and I said, you know, one of the things you've got to be sure of, you know, be ready for all of your theories on parenting to be tossed out of the window. And one in particular, he had a lot of theories on what kids were supposed to be and look like. And they said, yeah, 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 well, that's your big brother speaking. And then it happened. We fast forward about, about a year and a half, 18 months. Not too long after that conversation, my youngest brother, who has the twins, he and I were on the phone, and he says he has a very serious question that he needs to ask me about kids. And I say, oh yeah? Well, well shoot. What is it? And he says, now remember, this is not a joke. This is a serious question. He goes, uh, he goes brother, when is the proper time to introduce Tabasco sauce to your kids? Now these kids are two years old at the time. Remember that. I said, well, if you haven't started, it may be too late. He then told me that, well, what prompted the question was that he was having some, uh, some hot sauce and some chips at a restaurant, and his kids wanted some, and so he gave it to them. And I asked, did it kill them? He said, no. I said, uh, did they want more? He said, no. I said, next question. <laughs> I did share with him, though, some sage advice about Tabasco sauce and toddlers. I said, brother, uh, you need to remember the Scripture that says, it's not what goeth into a man that defileth him, but what cometh out. <laughs> if you catch my drift. He said, I catch your drift. <laughs> Well, my brothers and, and others of you, all of us, I was just talking to Ben Bailey uh, down here on the front row, and we, you know, we talk a lot about his kids. Um, uh, ben, you know, 39 years old and, and been a parent for, uh, for, for over a decade now. What, what people are discovering is that it takes a lot more than just love to raise your children. It takes wisdom. It takes sound wisdom. Proverbs 24, verse 3, it's up on the screen. Say it with me. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Let's say that one more time. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. You know, parents naturally love their children. That's not the problem. The difficulty is in knowing what to say, and not only what to say, but what to do in those crucial moments of life as well as in the day-to-day -day normal activities of life. And so the big question this morning is, what do we do with these kids? What do we do with these kids? I mean, that is not a bad question to ask. One of the most important texts in the Old Testament, if not the highlight of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Love the, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Those words that we just read, that we said together, they are at the core of what it means to be a Hebrew. But that's not where that thought ended. Uh, Moses keeps going with it. There, there's more to it. He begins in verse 6. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. 
He's saying that to all of the adults. These commands that you are to, that the God is one, that God is our Lord, and that you're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is to be on your heart. Why? Because you can't give away what you don't have. He says, impress them. The fact that God is all that there is. He is one. And that He is to be loved with the totality of our being. Impress that on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, there is no such thing as a bad opportunity or an inappropriate place to talk to your children, not just about God, but about love for God. Same kind of teachings brought over into the New Testament. Paul is talking to people who who did not grow up in a Hebrew background. Some of them did in the church. A lot of them didn't, especially when you got into Asia Minor and other places outside of Palestine. And so he has a church in Ephesus that's trying to figure out how are we supposed to be the church? And they're wondering about the next generation of faith. And at the end of that book, Paul in chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up every day in all of those places, in all of those moments, in all of those conversations, wherever it might be. Train and instruct them on what it means to love God. Now, uh, about 35 years ago, there's a fellow by the name of John Westerhoff who wrote a book. It was sort of a, a beginning of a lot of books being written on how you instill faith in children. So, it, a book that's still relevant in a lot of ways. The title of the book is Will Our Children Have Faith? And it was really addressing a lot of the questions that we still have today. How do we make sure that the next generation of faith not only knows God but loves God and has faith in God and trusts God and are becoming disciples of, of Jesus of Nazareth? And there was a little phrase in there that I read. He actually uh, took it and, and used it for a different purpose. But the phrase actually came from an, uh, a San Francisco Chronicle newspaper headline from the 19th century. But he used it for his own purposes to make the point, which was, and this is the, what he said, we are 20 years from barbarism. We're 20 years from barbarism, meaning that if there is not continual teaching and modeling, and mentoring, and instruction, and all of the things that go into making a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, then what happens is at some point, the church has a shelf life and it no longer exists. So two things I want to say to us as a church this morning about children, and about families, and about all of our our place in it. Uh, You know, one of the things that, that Ellen and I really enjoy about our ministry in this church is we loved raising our kids in this church family. Richard Shaw was just this phenomenal youth minister, and he means so much to our kids. And then later on, that mantle was passed on to Cody Spear, and, and Jordan was sort of uh, at the tail end of his high school years, was at the beginning of Cody's ministry here. And, and many of you know Cody has just really done such a fantastic job in following Richard in the same kind of ministry to our kids. But now our kids are out of college, and one of them's married, and the other one is, is living on his own. And every Sunday and every Wednesday night and on Tuesday mornings at ladies' Bible class and whenever the church family gets together, I have all of these little children that I get to interact with and put my hands on them and bless them and love them and hug them and hold them and put them on my knee. And it's such a tremendous thing, a blessing to us to experience the life of your kids. 
But with that comes a responsibility for all of us, not just to experience the joy of these kids, but it's also about making sure that the next generation of faith is in place. And not just in a superficial way, but in a way that we see disciples continuing the faith in this community and in this city in the years to come. Two things we want to talk about. Number one, let's remind these kids every time we see them that it's about relationship over regulations. Why do your children obey you? A lot of people are asking, why in the world won't they obey me? You ever ask that question, though? I mean, you ask your kid to do something, he goes and, and, and he does it, or she does it. Have you ever asked the question, why does your kid obey you? When, when someone does what you want, because it seems like it's a pretty good idea, that's agreement. That's not obedience, that's agreement. And so what happens when they don't agree? They disobey. If disagreement leads to disobedience, then what a lot of folks think that you have to do is that you have to incorporate fear tactics to get it back to obedience. But here's the thing. If your child learns to love you because of that relationship, because of the, the blessing of being a parent to that child, because of all of the interaction, because of the smiles and the laughs and the conversation, and that, that child learns to love you because you first loved him or her, then what they will begin to do is to trust you to have their best interests at heart. And if that's true, then he or she will obey you even when they don't understand or agree. That's why this passage in Deuteronomy, out of all of the passages in the Old Testament, was to surround the families in Israel. They were to be talked about all the time. And what was that? That human beings are to have an all-encompassing, all-embracing love for God. That it wasn't just a relationship that was based merely on, on work and law and service and obedience. But it was first and foremost a relationship in which people recognized that God was a Father. And that everything that He did when He created the heavens and the earth was for our benefit. And His interaction with mankind from the, the Garden of Eden to this very day, to this present time, was all for our benefit and for our blessing. And as a manifestation of His love, even when it wasn't easy to swallow. And so what happens is as we spiral into that kind of love on a regular basis, we begin to know God more deeply. And we trust God and we have confidence in God. And even when we don't understand, we obey. Because of the relationship that we have with the One who loves us first. I was reading a little book about children in faith entitled Sticky Faith recently. A lot of you know this book. I think Richard has taught even a parenting class on it in the last year or two. And I think the author makes an extremely valid point. He, she writes, there's a big difference between teaching a child that Christianity is about do's and don'ts rather than it being about a relationship with God. The primary image of God in the life and teaching of Jesus is of loving Father and not a feared tyrant. And that's why earthly fathers, our physical fathers who are tyrants, are not very good fathers. Think about how Jesus talked about, about the Father in these texts. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God refers to Jesus as my beloved Son, the Son that I love. In Matthew chapter 6, and verse 9, Jesus in the model prayer teaches us to pray to our Father who art in heaven. Mark chapter 14, verse 36, in a moment of duress and seeking help, Jesus prays, Abba, Father. One of the most intimate ways that you can refer to God the Father is Abba, Father. 
Jesus always referred to God as Father except in one place, and that's when He quotes Psalm 22 on the cross. My God, my God, you finish it. Why have you forsaken me? The image of God as Father is to be embedded in our understanding of God. He is our Father. It's a great little story over in Mark chapter 10. In verse 13, people are, were bringing little children to Jesus for Him to place His hands on them. I mean, that's kind of a cool scene when you think about it. Moms and dads hear that Jesus is in their town. Understand that this is a very special man. So they grab up their kids and they take them to Jesus, but the story doesn't end there. The rest of verse 13 says, but the disciples rebuke them. That just seems kind of weird. Seems kind of crazy. I mean, what in the world are they thinking? It's just so disappointing in these disciples. Basically, these disciples of Jesus are saying, these kids are not significant enough to warrant Jesus' time or energy. Off you go. He's got bigger and better things to do than to be with your kids. But the story doesn't end there either. It continues in verse 14. When Jesus saw this, He was what, church? What does indignant mean? He was hacked. Jesus does not get angry very often in the Gospels. He gets angry, basically, when people do not make as much of God as they should. And secondly, He gets angry when people are holding other people back from finding God as Father. When Jesus saw this, He was indignant. And He said to them, He's saying to His disciples, people like you and me, let these little children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never, what? Enter it. And He took the children in His arms. You know, when you take these little kids in your arms, you're doing exactly what Jesus did. He took the children in His arms and He placed His hands on them and He blessed them. I don't know. Seems that the thinking of the disciples here, little defective, don't you think, when it comes to children and Jesus? I mean, when you get right down to it, don't you wish that those disciples could be more like us? I mean, we never have to beg people to teach children's classes, right? Uh, maybe those disciples are a little bit more normal than we would like to admit. But friends, this is what we're doing when we interact with these kids on a weekly and a daily and hourly basis, sometimes on a Sunday, is we are taking them into our arms and we are blessing them and we are making sure that they are being carried to the Savior. And then the second thing, and we're done, remember it's a childlike rather than childish faith. It's about growing up. It's about growing up and being a mature disciple of Jesus. At the end of that story, the children are brought into the presence of Jesus and are blessed. And there, there's just something so important about being in the presence of the Master. And that's true even today. Faith must be seen embodied in other people. Faith must be seen embodied in other people. Barry, this last week, I passed around a, a, a really good article uh, entitled, it was from Salvo Magazine, it was entitled Youth Retreat, 
which is about young people becoming young adults and then having trouble staying with the church. They, at, when they get to about 18 to 27 or so, they begin to leave the church. And one of the points had this, this really fancy title. It was Seeking Orthodoxy Proven by Orthopraxy. Which is just kind of a fancy way of saying that belief and behavior need to be connected and that's what these guys are seeking. And when they are not connected, when you have this belief that is not connected with any kind of action, any kind of life, any kind of ethic or behavior, then that has devastating results on the faith of these kids. But here's the thing. There is just something so powerful in seeing what you believe to be true about God. About the Gospel and about the church being lived out in authenticity. When you see somebody putting, putting their, their, their life where their mouth is when it comes to adversity and trouble. When, when, when somebody is, 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 is able to, to, to see a, a child make that transition, it's one of the greatest moments in, in, in the, the history of a, of, a, of a parent's life. A little over a year ago, we had a, a family in our church family that, uh, that suffered a, a really tremendous tragedy as uh, one of their kiddos experienced the loss in a tragic way of, of, uh, of his best friend. And while they were in the middle of reeling with that kind of a loss, the father was diagnosed with, uh, with a tumor uh, that was attached to his brain. And, and right in that six-month period, this family is having to deal with, with these kinds of issues and these kinds of tragedies and these kinds of troubles in life. And at one point, son that had, uh, had experienced a loss of his best friend, in a moment with his mom, said, God is so good to us. Most parents are doing something right. When you can see in the life of, of, a, of a young man the greatness of the goodness and blessing, the grace, the compassion, the mercy, the strength of God, even in moments that are rocking the world, and to say, God is so good to us. At the end of the story in Mark 10, Jesus tells people that unless they accept the kingdom like a child, they will never enter it. What he means is that, that children recognize that they have to trust someone. They recognize their weaknesses and their inabilities and their vulnerabilities and, and, and their shortcomings in terms of, of, of strength and, and knowledge of the world. That unless they trust someone to take care of their needs and to protect them they're on their own. And only those who recognize their own lack of entitlement in all things spiritual and offer nothing but trusting faith and love, Jesus says, like those children, can enter the kingdom. And one of the important ways that we move from a childish faith to a childlike faith is in seeing the faith lived in the good times and the worst of times. Where the worship of God is in spirit and truth. And that is experienced. Where an idea of what Jesus must have looked like 
is seen in the daily lives of people who say that they're His disciples. When the fruit of the Spirit, when, when these young folk are able to see that it's not just when we gather together, we put on our Sunday clothes, or on a Wednesday night and we're together and we're putting on our best face, that the fruit of the Spirit is seen. But they see in all of life, in all of the circumstances, in all of the situations, they see that love and they see that faith and gentleness and kindness and that perseverance and patience. They see it observed in the lives of people who profess to be disciples. They need to see a peace that is observed in all kinds of settings and circumstances from illnesses to tragedies to successes and to setbacks. Faith must be seen embodied in other people. And one of the things that that I I tell the guys uh, that... uh, are gracious enough to listen to me as fathers is that you're teaching even when you're not teaching. Never underestimate the power of your example. In Titus chapter 2, verse 7, in everything Paul writes to Titus, this young man, this young minister, he says, set them an, an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity. That word integrity... I mean, it gets bounced around all the time. It it comes from the word integer, which means one, that there is no separation between who you are, what you say, and what you think. That it is all one. There is a union, a a unitedness. That's not even a word, but I just made it up. And so, congratulations, you're here at the birth of a new word. Unitedness. (laughs) There is a unitedness between everything that that, that makes up Mark Absher and makes up whoever you are. That there's oneness to it. There's unity. That it's all together. There's no fragmentation. No separation. That it's authentic. And what Paul is saying, the things that you teach and the things that you teach are the things that you believe. Those things that you believe, there must be an integrity with what you are and who you are, what you say and what you do and how you, where, where your affections are laid and, and, and the emotions that, that, that you, you throw out there depending on the circumstances. There must be an integrity with what you believe. And you know what? When we understand that we are teaching our children that it's about a relationship with God, and in that relationship with God, you are going to obey Him. But you obey Him because you love Him. You obey Him because He's your Father. You obey Him because He created you. You obey Him because His Son died for you. You obey Him for the, the millions and millions and millions of blessings that He showered in your life. He is your Father. You love Him. That's why you obey Him. That's why you live the kind of life that you do. And you also are growing up into the likeness of of, of Jesus, which means that you trust God completely, implicitly. You trust God exhaustively. The scope knows no end. It's an infinite scope of trust in the power of God. That's what it means to have a childlike faith. And it begins not just in hearing it in Sunday school, but it begins when they begin to see it lived out in an incarnational way that the faith of Jesus being lived out in our lives today on a daily basis. That's how we bless these kids. And that's why we never have to worry about being two decades away from the barbarians taking over. It's because of the kind of church family that we endeavor to be generation to generation to generation. The priorities that we place on kiddos. We're going to sing a song now. It's time to praise God. It's time to worship God again in song, in spirit, and in truth. in, in, In this... with with a hymn that that recognized the greatness of God. We're singing Blessed Assurance, right? All of the assurances that come to us in Christ 
are sure and, and firm and we can be confident of them. That's the blessedness of it. And for those of us who, who have felt those things profoundly, we sing out during this next song. But there might be others who are really struggling with their faith. There might be some who are saying, you know what? It's time for me to do business with God and to be honest about my own life and to recognize that I'm entitled to nothing. And that my thought life is not all that pure. My heart is not always directed in the right place. I create a lot of problems. Don't intend to all the time, but create a lot of problems for other people and create problems for myself and just make the world not a better place, but sometimes a worse place. And I need to be saved out of that. I need to come to God through Jesus and to receive His Spirit through repentance and baptism. And if that describes you this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that by coming down and talking to the shepherds, the spiritual leaders of our church, and to talk to them about your needs. But for the rest of us, let's think about the greatness of God and let's stand and let's praise Him together. Let's stand and sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Ever salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the 